Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. This time, it's the Elaine and Diane show. Yay. Well, we love our guests, but I like just talking to you. I think this is like, this is probably my favorite thing to do is just riff on whatever topic we want to talk about, right? Well, and what we're having fun with y'all is thinking about what topics are coming up in our experience with our community and with our coaching and with our groups, like what comes up that we realize it would really help you to know better. Right. And this one, this one particularly today, so I'm teaching a four-week class that's talking about the intersection between technology and emotional reactivity triggers, triggers and technology. And one of the tools we're saying that's so critical is having effective agreements, whether it's a, in this instance, it's around technology, but we know that having an effective agreement around chores or around homework or around technology or around whatever else it is can be really critical in terms of a critical tool that you can use as parents to really help things go more smoothly in your household. Right. And I'm doing a four-week group on communications, right? And improving communications. And similarly, like if your communication is on, you're going to end up with effective agreements. And if your communication is misfiring, you might have agreements, but they're not likely to be working for you in the way that you want them to. Or you might have agreements around how you communicate with each other. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to use agreements and all kinds of things to have agreements. And parents come to us all the time and say, well, but we agreed. And, right. and I'm like, oh, it's it. like, curious, yeah, yeah. like, With- well, what does that really mean? And did your kid really, really agree? And were they really, really clear on what you agreed to? Did you really even have their attention when you agreed? I mean, all right. these different movies. Were they these- agreeing or were they shutting you up? <laughs> right, like, exactly. Uh-huh, yeah, did they mom. just say, yes, mom, I, I got it. You yeah, know, yeah, to, yeah. To get you off their back, right? So we have spent some time with each other going through like all the different things we teach and trying to come up with a real construct for you. So this is really going to be more lesson in a way, because it's like what we we broke it down and said, okay, what is what's the context of effective agreements? What are the components of it? And what do you do when it doesn't work? So that's what we're going to try to do in the next you know 30 minutes. I think we could do this, right? <laughs> so, this. so you were telling me a story about a conversation you had with a client about an agreement that a teacher tried to make with her kiddo. Tell us the story a little school bit. Counselor. Oh, it was a school counselor. School okay. counselor, right? So here's the scenario, a uh, 16-year-old kid in a in a kind of 
school for not special needs kids, but kind of that. And because of COVID had gone from in-person learning to hybrid learning to virtual learning and the kid was shutting down and wasn't showing up. So the counselor gets the mom to get the kid on the phone and the kid is really resistant to the counselor and the mom is trying to get the kid to collaborate with this counselor, right? And within a little while, the mom understands why the kid is resisting the counselor. And it's because what the counselor said was, I'm here for you. I know this is really hard for you, but you've got to step up and meet us halfway. At which point the kid shut down again because he didn't feel heard or listened to. The counselor was asking for what they wanted without any kind of negotiation or really considering where the kid was coming from. And the mom watched the dynamic and really realized she needed to get this kid off the phone, that that she needed to find another way to motivate this kid that this counselor wasn't going to be effective with us. Well, and so what I'm hearing in that is, and, and, and I think we all do this, is like we have an agreement in mind in our head. Yeah. This is what I'll, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what you got to do, right? It's just sort of. This is what I expect you to agree to. Is what Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a sort of, okay, I'm going to do this. And I, this is what you need to do. And I think we do that as parents. I think schools do it a lot. And understandably, because there are expectations we want our kids to meet. And yet, sometimes we have to realize that if we don't get them, and this is what we're going to talk about, into it, if, if they're not really committed to it maybe they're not ready to meet those expectations. Maybe they're not bought into that. Or, and and again, we'll talk about this too, but it's, this happens a lot. It's like, if the expectations are not realistic or or clearly understood, you're not respectful of the person you're dealing with or right. There's so many words. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so let's get into it. First of all, what is an effective agreement? What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about when you have an expectation of your child or you have an expectation, or your child has an expectation of you. It's it's that sort of intersection between one person's needs and that involves somebody else, right? It's this sort of um, our agreement with regard to getting up in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. here's what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Our agreement with regard to how much computer time you can have. Our agreement with regard to how we're going to communicate with each other when we're really upset with each other. Yeah. So we're really talking about when somebody wants something, we're looking for an outcome Mm -hmm. and it may be a behavioral outcome in terms of how do we communicate? And it may be a tactical outcome in terms of, you know, getting out of bed or whatever. But when we're looking for some specific outcome and we want to kind of have an agreement on what that's going to be, is that fair? Yeah, because it might be something as simple as, hey, I'll meet you at the mall at four o'clock is an agreement. I mean, it's something as simple as that, or, you know, that it could be something much more complicated than that as well. Okay. So what we're talking about here is how do we collaborate with our kids? Because we're going to start with the assumption that this is a collaborative approach, right? Because that's what we do. So how do we collaborate with our kids or our partners or others, I guess, anyone? There's this particular outcome that we're looking for. We want to come to some agreement on. Well, so tip number one, and I'm going to say it a little bit differently than you do. The best way to have an agreement be effective is to work on it collaboratively. If you go to somebody and say, this is what I want you to agree to, you're going to have a whole different sort of adventure than if you say, hey, I want to create an agreement around this. Let's talk about it, right? 
Right. Well, and we could go into a whole other thing about negotiation and and our role as parents in terms of teaching our kids to negotiate, but let's make that another conversation. (laughs) Right. Okay. So what's the context of agreement? What are the things that, that it would be helpful if a parent brings to this negotiation, to this conversation in order for an agreement to be effective? Right. One of the things I know is, I mean, it has to do with, I'm going to call this the energy that we bring. I think it's really important that we come without judgment and be really matter of fact. You know, we're not, not taking it personally and not getting triggered by it, and, but really just staying calm and simple and matter of fact and practical about the conversation. Well, and I guess the example there is like, and I'm going to use technology because I, I know that that's what's on my mind this week because I'm teaching this class. But, you know, parents come in with like, I'm having such a hard time getting my son off the computer. So we're going to have a technology (laughs) agreement, right? It's this sort of, we're going to agree to what it's going to be, right? It's this sort of, you're creating the agreement because you're trying to solve the problem, but that's very different than trying to create an agreement to solve a trigger, an upset, right? It's just sort of, I want to challenge you to solve the upset. And the problem is that you don't have an effective methodology or a system process from co-managing technology, as opposed to I'm doing this because I don't want to be upset with you anymore. Yeah. Right. So, so there's gotta, you gotta take that, the layers of judgment and taking it personally and all that stuff off. I I think the most effective tool we have as parents sometimes Mm -hmm. is just being matter of fact, Mm -hmm. taking the emotionality out of it. How hard is that though? Practical. <laughs> it is. It's so hard sometimes, sometimes, but, and sometimes it's not, I guess it just depends because we, because we care, you know, but when we're holding tightly to needing something to be a certain way, yeah. it tends to put this energy on it that actually prevents us from getting the very outcomes we want. Well, and so here, wait, hang on a second. So from a context pers- perspective, right, yeah. there's this parent-child relationship thing that often creates a dynamic because I'm your parent. I'm the, I want to be in charge. I want to be the boss. I want to be, you know, and we all do that as parents. It's part of kind of being a parent. And what I want to put forward is if you think about an agreement you would make with a peer, and I'm not suggesting your kids are a peer, But I think if you start with a context of if Elaine and I were going to make an agreement and we do this all the time about how we're going to handle X, Y, and Z or how we're going to meet for dinner next week or whatever it is, we would handle that agreement setting in a different way than a parent, you know, who's saying I'm the parent, you have to follow my rules. So it's like this sort of mutual respect Again, collaboration and mutual respect, you that definitely fosters more effective agreements than one-sided, I'm the boss, this is what we need to do. Right. Holding the agenda and taking control. So collaborative yeah. is the name of the game, once again. Yep. Keeping it matter of fact without judgment, not taking it personally, but just it is what it is, staying really, you know, tactical about it. I think we've been talking about negotiation. There's an opportunity for agreement and for kind of, if you're collaborative, there's a space for counter offer and to say, I'd like this. Well, I'd like this, you know, like that's how I ended up with a hyphenated last name, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't, I didn't go in there saying it, you know, we just, we, we went back and forth till we had an agreement. So it's well, collaborative created. Oh, what I was going to say is going back to this whole thing that, that we're talking about context, you want to set reasonable expectations. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of times what happens is that we think 
that something's reasonable and then the agreement isn't followed through and we're like, well, wait a second. The kids said they would do it and then they didn't follow through. So now they're lying to me. Now they're lying to me (laughs) or they're, you know, they didn't care or they, you know, there's a consequence. And the reality is that it, it may not be a realistic expectation. They may say, okay, yes, when the timer goes off, I will get off my computer and they may really want to do that because they know that there's a consequence. And, and just because they don't get off doesn't mean that they don't care. It may mean that getting off on their own independently is not a realistic expectation. And so there's all or kinds may, of- Maybe require taking aim on something else. Right? Yeah, exactly. So part of the message here is that when you're setting an agreement for you to assume that it, you know, whether it's an agreement or a system you're putting in place, whatever that is, that, you know, we say this all the time about systems, it's the same for agreements. It's not likely to hit it a thousand percent the first time. Like there's going to be some need to go back and have another conversation, to rinse and repeat, to to figure out what worked and what didn't, and what do you want to do differently? And, And that is reasonable to expect. Well, and here's what I would say is that that is a great negotiation tool. If you go into an agreement with a kiddo and you say, okay, you know what? Let's try this for a week. And on Sunday, let's review. You can talk about how it's working for you. I'll share my perspective on how it's working for me. And we'll figure out whether it's still, whether we want to tweak it or adjust it or whether we want to leave the agreement in place the way it is. That is a great tool to give them an out to, to be willing to play with something that, you know, if, if they think it's hard and fast and, you know, you might get more resistance than if it's like, okay, let's try it, let's play with it and then figure out whether or not it's working longer term. Exactly. The, the other thing I want to say, cause we're going to go into the components of the agreement in a second. There's one more thing I want to say about from a context perspective and that there's a whole section about this in the book, in the essential guide is we have to be careful not to call it to hide a punishment as a consequence. When you talked about setting up expectations and and we're going to talk about agreements and consequences, we'll talk about this again in a minute, but I want to be clear. The purpose here is to come to an agreement with each other, not to kind of hide a way to, to punish or impose consequences, right? So we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's talk about the effective, the components of an agreement. So okay. the first the first one is buy-in, right? It's a sort of you want to make sure that both of you have a commitment to the agreement, at least in concept, right? It's just sort of if you've got the rinse and repeat there, it's like, okay, yep, you know what? I really want to try to make this work and I'm committed to trying to do that. Right. And sometimes we'll have a kid's buy-in because they have ownership of it and they're like into it and they're committed to it because they see it as something important. Sometimes we'll get buy-in through rewards. Or consequences. Yeah. Consequences. And I'm going to really focus on the rewards piece. You're more likely to get buy-in from the the reward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we'll get it because we've helped them find the motivation for it. So buy-in is about their commitment to it right? Is they're saying yes for real, not just yeah, 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 mom or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's an important piece to distinguish because a lot of times our kids will say yes to something because they're, we don't really have have their attention or they, they just want to get us off their back or Or because they don't think they have a choice to say anything else. Yeah, that's true. Right. If they don't feel like they do have the opportunity to counter offer or negotiate with you then they're going to say yes. And then you're going to get frustrated when they don't do what they said they were going to do. When they didn't really say it, you said it, 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing here. So the other piece here, Diane and I were talking about this before we started, is that ownership is one of these interesting things. Ownership and buy-in are not the same thing. So mm-hmm. we've just been talking about buy-in. Buy-in is they kind of engage, they agree to it. They're really, we find a hook to help them commit to it. We get a reward, whatever it is. They may or may not own it. Ownership is about kind of who's holding the agenda. And if you think about our four phases, you know, those of you in our world, we talk about collaboration and support. And in the collaborative space, that's where we're kind of doing buy-in and sharing ownership. And then in the support place, really, we're supporting them in something that they're now taking ownership of. And so an effective agreement can happen in both in, in all of those areas. An effective agreement can happen when you have more of the ownership of the agenda, when it's a shared agenda, or when it's their agenda. That piece, it's somebody's got to have the agenda. But it, it doesn't it doesn't rely on them to really own it to get their buy-in to actually move forward with. Well, that. and what I would say is that buy-in and motivation look a little bit different if it's your agenda, yeah, or versus, it, versus if it's a shared agenda or if it's their agenda. Because if it's a shared agenda, then you know there may be more intrinsic motivation or built-in motivation in a very different way. If it's your agenda you may need to build in more motivation in order to get their buy-in. Right. Or in order to either get their buy-in or to get their skill set to the place, their their engagement in it, their capacity to do it. So one of the things you talk about a lot is just because they agree doesn't mean they have the skills to adhere to the agreement on their own without some support or structure or something to help them be successful. Yeah. And so, and just because they have the motivation, right. It's just sort of, you know, it's like kids do this all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my Xbox. If I can't do this, I don't want to lose my Xbox. And yet they aren't able to get off. And it's, again, it's just sort of, it's not that they don't want to. It's not that they're bought in. It's not that they're not motivated. It's literally that they don't have the skills. So you've got to. Look they don't know how, right? They don't and know so how. Then, right? and that goes back to then you need to take aim on something else. Now they've got you've got it. So this is where rinse and repeat comes in, right? Let's say you have an agreement on getting off the Xbox at X time, right? And they're not doing it. When you rinse and repeat, you kind of kind of figure out what's working, what's not, and what may not be is that even though they want to, they're standing there like you know, what hand out the door, the other on the computer. So we may need to work with them to take aim on how do you stop being on the computer? Like what's the structure for you to use there? Because sometimes that may be, even if they want to, they don't know how to get themselves. Like let's take waking up. Just because my kid wanted to wake up in the morning to go to school doesn't mean that they were going to wake up when that alarm went off. Yeah. Right. And so we ended up spending months working with all kinds of different alarm systems and one that ran across the room and really loud and obnoxious ones and all kinds of things to help them get up. But it wasn't imposing it on them. It was collaboratively working with them to problem solve around how to help them get up because they had agreed to get up. Yeah. But it was still hard for them to do that. Well, and just going back to the technology thing on the website, there's a great tip that you and I did a recording about how to help your kid get off a transition off of technology. So if that's a problem, you go, go look for Good resource. Yeah. The search window on the, on the website is fabulous. You just type in almost anything. You'll find an article or a tip or a video or something. So what else do we want to hit? The next thing is about accountability 
and consequences. And when I use the word consequences, it may be a positive reward. It may be a a negative impact, depending on kind of how you set it up. And and it's important to know, um, is my kid more of a carrot kid or more of a stick kid? And you know, and, and making sure I tend to be more focused on carrots than sticks. Cause I really think they do work better. Yeah. Um, well, the research but, is right behind you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the important piece about it is that you're creating the accountability collaboratively. You're not yes. just saying this should be the consequence. You might even say, what are three things that could, we could do t- that might be a motivation for you to get off on time or to, to, uh, get up in the morning, you know, so it, you're coming up together with ideas for rewards, for consequences, those sorts of things. What will happen if it does? What will happen if it doesn't? Um, one of my favorite parenting questions of all times is how do you want me to handle it when, <laughs> right? right? How do you want me to handle it when you ask me to wake up and I come to wake you up and you yell at me? Like, cause that doesn't feel good for me. What do you want me to do? I know you right. want to get up at, at seven o'clock. How should I handle it if it's 720 and, and you're still, still in, bed. in bed, right? Right, right. So what we're talking about here, and I remember, God, I remember this conversation you and I had probably eight, 10 years ago about this notion of it's not enough to have an agreement. The agreement has to be clearly communicated and agreed to by both sides. Well, right? yeah, so, waking up is a great example, right? So what does yeah. awake mean? Does it mean... <laughs> Does it mean feet on the floor? Does it mean eyes open? Does it mean straight? I mean, I think about myself this morning. I had one of those mornings where I kind of laid in bed longer than I might have wanted to, but it was like this sort of, I was awake, but was I really at a point where I was like ready to start moving into my day? No. Well, I have a, one of my kids is a young adult and was living with us recently. And literally just what you just said, she said, before you go into your whatever meeting, I have to be out of here at 7.30. Would you please make sure, not just that I'm awake, but that my feet are on the floor? Would you check in with me? And that wasn't me saying, you got to get up at 7.30. That was her being really clear with me about what it looks like for her to really be, be awake. Right. Yeah. Well, and the same yeah. thing with cleaning a room is that I think that's where that conversation was about clear agreements. What does a clean room really look like? Right. And is your expectation regarding a clean room? Because nothing's worse than, you know, a kid thinking they've spent three hours cleaning the room and mom comes in and says, you, you didn't do this, this and this and this. You didn't do this and this and yeah. So you didn't reach the agreement. So you don't get your cookie, whatever. Right. It so is. you want to be really clear and make sure everybody agrees and we're on the same page and we know what it is and we know it's going to happen and how we're going to handle it when, and we have a time set to rinse and repeat to kind of debrief and say what's working, what's not, how do we want to tweak this? I want to go back to that issue I brought up earlier about punishments versus consequences and making sure that what we're doing here is setting them up for success and not just looking for excuses to find a punishment, right? Well, we so hang on a second, because, to do that. and I kind of want you to explain that more, but before you do, I want to put a plug back in for the difference between a punishment and a consequence, right? right. And so people can be reminded that a punishment is something that, or a consequence is something that's agreed to up front and un- clearly understood. And a punishment is something that's that's a surprise for whatever reason you know whether it's a, it's practically a surprise or actually a surprise to a kid it's or like i mean of- a punishment is is a penalty yeah. right a punishment is for doing something wrong or for making a mistake or and what we've learned in our community with complex kids is punishments aren't very effective because they don't learn from it 
But with consequences, you can bring them through the process of problem solving. And really, everything we're talking about right now is a process of problem solving. How do we want to address this issue to be successful, to set ourselves up for success with it? And so to do that, we want to look at it in terms of natural consequences whenever possible. The beautiful thing is, as your kids become teenagers, is the world starts imposing natural consequences. You don't have to, because the world's going to do it. They're, you know, well, the and again, a plug, or the te- and natural whatever. consequences don't always work in terms of changing behavior. Natural consequence might help with creating some motivation, but if your kid doesn't have the skills... Right. Uh, it doesn't right. matter whether, you know, it's like this sort of, well, I'll just let them flunk out of math and they'll figure it out. Well, that might not really be true. You, you can do that. But what if you actually worked with them to help them figure out what they needed to be successful in math? And that's right. at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is setting our kids up for success yeah. and giving them the tools and the skills and, and having the kinds of conversations that empower them to take ownership and buy in and follow it, adhere to agreements and be successful with it. It's about giving them a sense of ownership and agency and control and, and capacity for themselves. Well, so let's wrap it up by talking about what to do when agreements don't work. And, and it really kind of takes well, us I think back you should just give up and walk those, away. And- <laughs> you know, it comes back to those components, right? It's just sort of, well, and, and remind you, rinse and repeat, right? Don't say, well, I tried it and it didn't work. Right. It's just sort of going to challenge you to go back and say, okay, so what did work? What didn't work? Go back and look. Did I really have buy in? Was there motivation in place? What if was it a realistic expectation? And one thing about realistic expectations, just because they've done it once doesn't Doesn't mean they can do it all the time. Right. And that's the cornerstone of these kids, particularly kids with ADHD, is like some days they can do it really well, and other days they just literally can't. Right. And as you always say, until they've hit it about 80% of the time, they they probably haven't acquired it yet. Yeah. And so we can expect them to kind of be up and down in some of these areas. So when an agreement doesn't work, rinse and repeat without judgment, right? Right. Matter-of-factly, without taking it personally, without coming in and saying, well, that, you know, getting punitive and putting in punishment. Shame on you, right? It's Right. It's it's staying... Curiosity. Well, that's really interesting. That didn't, we, we had an agreement and it didn't work. Feels very different than you said you were going to and you didn't. So now you get punished. Well, if you start we with rinse and repeat, right? With the three magic questions, what part of this did work? We always want to start with the positive. What part did work? Because something worked. Even if it was just, we, we talked with each other and created an agreement. Well, that part worked. Well, and so then you can look at, well, what parts of it didn't work? What made it difficult for you or for me or for us instead of why didn't you, right? Yeah. And then the third one is, what do we want to tweak? What do we want to play with next? What do we want to try next? What, what's the yeah. next iteration of this? And part of rinse and repeat is setting up for the next rinse and repeat, which is how do we want to check back in and see how it's going, right? So you yeah. always want to kick it forward and make a commitment to checking in again because that's part of what makes this successful is the opportunity to say, you know what, this isn't working for me the way that I want it to, or this is awesome. Let's keep it going. Yes. To everything you just said. And and what came up as I was listening was also this notion of, you know, if you go back to our model, we take aim. And so sometimes we take aim on one thing and we keep working on it for a while. We've been some repeat, we tweak it, we do it again and again. And sometimes it takes us to a point where it's like, okay, there's a different issue to take aim on now. 
So now we're going to take M on that. So we thought that the problem was, was getting up. Now we realize that the problem is going to sleep at night. Or now we realize you know, the problem is that you're staying up late because you're really worried about your friends. Or And so then you have something different to take aim on. So sometimes we allow the process to let us take aim on something else because that's where collaborative problem solving has really got its juice. Yeah. Okay. And that's the thing. Wait, so hang on a second. Yeah. What we're really trying to do is to teach our kids life skills. Yeah. This is really, yes, we're trying to get our kids off the computer and out the door in the morning and all this other stuff. But what you're doing is you're setting your kids up for learning how to navigate agreements in life and how to ask for what they want and how to, to negotiate and all those other things that are right. great, great life skills to have and, and important in family dynamics. So win, win, win. So this is setting them up, not just for you to deal with the day-to-day stuff, but for them to ask for a raise from their boss 30 years from now. So here we go. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody, let's wrap great. this one up. That was great. Great conversation. Thank you so much for being with us as always. Thanks for what you do for yourself and for your kids. At the end of the day, you make all the difference. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.